Today's Blue Box podcast is brought to you in high-fidelity monophonic sound. You're listening to the Blue Box podcast, sponsored by Sugar Puffs, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Right, we had a message on our Facebook page apropos of our... Don't look at the piece of paper, Mark, that's cheating. Apropos of our questions podcast from, I think, two weeks ago, by when this is going out, from Brian Finlay. Here's a question, says Brian. If the show had come back in 2010 with Moffat and Smith rather than in 2005 with Eccleston and Davis... Would it have been a success? Would it have been as big starting at the 11th hour as it was in 2005 starting at Rose? Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Because everybody would be um, <coughs> jumping for joy that Doctor Who was back so they'd give it a go. And I think I, I, whether it would have lasted an extra couple of years, I don't know. It's hard to judge or tell, isn't it? But I think just by that one episode, if that was the starting episode, yeah. The 11th Hour? Yeah. Do you think 11th Hour does as good a job as Rose does in bringing the concept? No, because the whole point of Rose was to introduce the Doctor through a companion's eyes. Do you think Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who would have grabbed the public consciousness in the same way as Russ T. Davis's did? No. Christopher Eccleston? Possibly not. Do you think Amy would have brought in the floating female vote? In the same way as Rose did? Don't know, I'm not a female. <laughs> I did. This is the point. You've got, you come back with Eccleston, who is a completely atypical doctor, who gets people watching so that you can bring in your more typical doctors later. You start with Rose as the companion, who is not remotely a Doctor Who-y companion to get people watching. And then you can do things like Matt Smith, and Amy Bond. But if you'd started with Matt Smith and Amy Bond, would you have had all those millions watching from the start, or would they just have turned straight back off again? Did he say, uh, I missed the, the, the date, did he say start Matt Smith in 2005, hypothetically, or he did said, he mean 2010? Oh, just, just, yeah? What he did he said say? if the series had started with Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat in 2010... Right. Well, for instance, you know, well, for start, Geek Chic has been around for a wee while, yeah? So I think it would have worked. I think Matt Smith would have worked. Everybody would have just gone, oh, he's a geeky, funny, gawky bloke, it'll work. Why are you shaking uh, your head? Do you not just, like Doctor Who? No. I... <laughs> <laughs> it would work, it's brilliant. Well, the concept Simon. is brilliant. It, it's... I think as an opener, I think RTD got it absolutely spot on. Hmm. And I don't think, I think um, Stephen Moffat is a second album act. I don't. Here I go. Mm-hmm. Talking music again. I think it's a second album act as opposed to the first album. I think um, you needed the RTD viewpoint of things like the the dirty great loud music all the time. 
the urbanness. The urbanness, yes, the soap opera aspect of it. He needed to give the viewing public five or six years of something that they thoroughly enjoyed in order to give them something that was a bit of a googly. With a bit more, yeah, a bit more teeth to it. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I agree. Well, myself and Simon did actually have a little... Uh, response to Brian on the Facebook page. Yeah. Oh, did you? You saw yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I made the point, which which is a bit of a sidestep of the question, but also the fact that if it had started in 2010, I think it would have been would have been smack smack middle of the recession. Pretty much. Yeah. And it probably wouldn't have happened. I think it probably would have been put off. But that's that's neither here nor there with the question. But yeah, I think Simon makes a fair point. It would have would have been a bit of a gamble, looking at it from a financial point of view. But I think. I think I, sorry, I think I said to Brian that I think the landscape's changed. <laughs> TV-wise, since 2005, things like your sort of talent shows that were kind of coming into their own when the show came back in 2005 are really dominating TV at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure... And that's what Russell T. Davis really did. He took the sort of talent show template and made a drama along vaguely similar lines. Mm. Yeah, It's not to say that if Stephen Moffat was in command, he wouldn't have maybe taking the same tact who knows well I think that's what he's trying to do now and that's why I don't think it would have worked because Stephen Moffat now is trying to do the Russell T Davis thing of doing the showrunnery episodes Mm -hmm. and I just think the Stephen Moffat Doctor Who is so complicated and so left field it gets by on its entertainment value but you wouldn't have the public behind it if you hadn't have had the five years of Russell T. Davis first. Yeah. Momentum, haven't you yeah. Up? yeah, five years worth of massive momentum. Mm. You're talking about mm. episodes that got number one in the weekly charts, thirteen in excess of thirteen million viewers. You know, a quarter of the country basically were watching some of those Russell T. Davis episodes. And I just. If you'd have brought on the 11th hour, followed by the Beast Below, followed by Victory of the Daleks. As it is, as they are, yes. But if you can imagine a world without Doctor Who up until 2010, and then, uh, you know, he, he would have adjusted it according to the landscape of the yeah, television to point. reflect what the, yes, was going on. Yes, he would. So he may have had but, that. But my point is, I don't think Stephen Moffat's capable of adjusting it that much that he could have made the success of it that Russell T. Davis did. Bearing in mind, prior to Doctor Who, Russell T. Davis had done The Second Coming, he'd done Bob and Rose, he'd done Queer as Folk, and, you know, prior to Doctor Who, Stephen Moffat had done Coupling and Joking Apart and Chalk. You know, those five years of Russell T. Davis gave us a story a year from Stephen Moffat in which he was able to and this wasn't the plan, but this is effectively what happened. For f- four years, he gave us a story a year which prepared the ground for the Doctor Who that he would do when he got the showrunnership. But if you'd have starred people straight off with that showrunnership, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, if you were to go to the producers, um, uh, or the directors, rather, of, of BBC TV with the 11th hour and... Uh, you know, that kind of run of stories after and said, oh, I've got this guy, you know, he looks like a school teacher in, in DMs. He's really gawky. And <laughs> He's a right nerd. And then we've got this, this ginger girl and she's a bit annoying for a while. Blah, 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 <laughs> right? Um, it, it, it doesn't sell as well as, say, the Rose urban soap opera, it's Eccleston and a coat, man down pub thing. It's yeah, I like agree. if you had put the X-Files, when BBC got the rights to show the X-Files, right? 
programs like the X Files during the 1990s Love would the show yeah, me too. 9 p.m., 10 p.m. on BBC Two, right? As much as they were a success in inverted commas, they were a success in terms of BBC Two. But if you'd have put the X Files onto BBC One, it would have sunk without a trace, and the BBC would have cancelled it mm. halfway through the first run. Mm, mm. And to me, that kind of is how the Stephen Moffat Doctor Who would have looked to an audience who hadn't had five years of Russell T. Davis first. It would have been a, you know, for the best will in the world, you know, the Pandorica opens and Vincent and the Doctor and all the rest of it. If it hadn't been for Russell T. Davis, it would be a BBC Two program. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had Sergeant Peppers without a revolver. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't say "Love yeah, Me Do" because no, "Love Me Do" yeah. was nope. That's it. Oh, "Love Me Do" was all those years. Earthly child, so. all those yeah. years back when you came into the library and said it was coming on, and I didn't believe you up until the point that it was actually being made. Um, <laughs> I when I when I realised, I thought, okay, this thing's actually going to be made. Now I'm excited. Mm. I thought this is going to be BBC Two. They surely they're going to start off there. So I was thinking the same thing even back then, because we didn't have that much faith in our beautiful program. Well, that's kind of the point. During the 1960s and the 1970s, Doctor Who was a populist program, not a cult program. And it was only during the 1980s when even though it was still trying to exist in the populist spot, but it was becoming more and more cult. And the Stephen Moffat Doctor Who is like populist cult, whereas Russell T. Davis was just populist. But Stephen Moffat has taken... He's taken a lot of what Russell T. Davis did, the bombastic music for one thing, and kind of slightly mawkish maybe episodes at the end of a series. Mm. And he's taken quite a lot of the Russell T. Davis stuff. And he's sort of, he's been gradually phasing that out as he's phased his own stuff in. But he didn't just take over Doctor Who and do his own thing from the start. You know, the 11th hour is a million miles away from the Big Bang. Because the Big Bang is Stephen Moffat, Doctor Who. But the 11th hour is Russell T. Davis' Doctor Who, mm. as written by Stephen Moffat. Mm. So I take your point about he wouldn't have written the 11th hour as it was. But the 11th hour that he would have written, if it hadn't been for Russell T. Davis, would probably have been even less likely to be successful. I do remember having, having a discussion when the 11th hour was first on. Somebody came on um, in one of the forums, or it might have been the Facebook group think uh but basically saying that they didn't see any difference between the 11th hour the new doctor who to the old doctor who but i i, I saw things stylistically very yeah. very differently in terms but, of plot yeah it was exactly a russell t davis story yeah yeah, yeah yes it was but uh, yeah but watching it and uh tonally it looked different yeah in terms yeah. of direction visual design yeah yeah all those things there's quite a, a tonal <laughs> shift Mm, it, well, exactly. It's like halfway between the two stills. Mm. And I've said this ever since it was on. And it is. It's halfway between what Russell T. Davis would have done and what Stephen Moffat would go on and do. Maybe that was intended, though. To yeah, no, I think transition. it was. Yeah. No, I'm not saying it was like that by accident. I'm saying mm. Russ, uh, Stephen Moffat, in my mind, clearly made a decision with Series 5 that it would be a transition through the year. You look at the Chris Chibnall story, the Silurian story, that's, for me, very much in the mould of, of Russell D. Davis. Mm. But if you look at the first two-parter of that year, Time of Angels, that's very much more the direction where Stephen Moffat's series was going. And that's what I don't think I like so much about Series 5, apart from the fact that it seemed like a backward series. Instead of it being a smooth transition 
starting off as kind of the hybrid and moving gradually more towards the Stephen Moffat. It was up and down and all over the place. And I don't think Stephen Moffat had his eye... I don't think he had his... I don't think he had it under his control. I don't think he quite knew himself. But I think he very definitely started off wanting to be close enough to Russell D. Davis that people wouldn't be put off by it. Yeah, no. And move it towards what he was doing. But I don't think the way he moved it there was very successful, very smooth. No, I definitely think you're right. If you compare the first season of um, Moffat to the first season of Davis, then, you know, Russell T. Davis was, was quite consistent in a lot of ways. You know, I think series yeah, there's a lot more structure in the first yeah, series. Series yeah. one is probably the most consistent series yeah, still yeah. since it came back. With the possible exception, I think, of series six, which I think is consistently Stephen Moffat from start to finish. Even more so than what we've just had with series seven, because the two Chibnall episodes were throwbacks mm. to Russell D. Davis. Mm, mm. But series six, from start to finish, all those episodes feel to me like Stephen Moffat episodes. Mm. I think that's the most consistent one since series one. Maybe it's because you come at it from a an authorly perspective. I still prefer season five. Is that uh, a new address? Some... JR's authorly perspective is a new address. <laughs> You've got to get it in there every episode. There's also the viewpoint, though, that series one, that they obviously had that bit longer to prepare it. They did, absolutely. But Stephen Moffat, conversely, had longer to prepare his first series as well because he was given the reins a long while before, so he had time to think of it. But he actually actively took up his role a long time before in terms of how long you would normally get to prepare for a series. So he did have a long run-in for that first series of his own. Mm. And yet it's the second series, the one where he doesn't get the long run-in, where he does the business, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Do you know, it's fascinating from talking about talking to you about this side of the thing and looking at the different uh, showrunners and how they behave and what have you. Taking a sidestep here, we won't focus on it along is that the news we've just had of the new writer for the star wars movies the new three new star wars movies it's going to get exactly the same situation it's going to be fascinating i think anyway i'm jr <laughs> i'm lee i'm mark i'm simon <laughs> <laughs> and this is the blue box podcast uh, i should have done that earlier it's the longest introduction ever wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> well, this is we're having a bit of a Starburst radio show tonight because we've decided that we were going to get together tonight and record two episodes, and not one of the four of us even thought about it since we made that decision. So <laughs> we walked in so you can tell. So we don't even these three guys don't even know what the subjects of these two episodes are going to be. Uh, freestyling. Okay, what we're going to do? Michael hmm. Smith, man. Okay, this might be a clue. I'm going to do it on the spot. Oh, and he's, been, he's looked at me three times so it's going to be me <clears throat> that's a double bluff and for the next 60 seconds <laughs> Simon's going to be talking <laughs> about the Dalek invasion of Earth Dalek invasion of Earth I absolutely love possibly possibly my favourite Dalek story um, same old story of uh, it being formed in my head as a target novel before anything possibly before I even saw the film so um, and I, I just remember vividly uh, reading about the Robomen and things like that. There's that scene where the, the, a Roboman ends up in a... River. In a river, yeah. yeah. It's the like, um, prologue sequence at the start. Which, the which absolutely sucked me into the into the story itself. Uh, much like they're sucked into the earth at the end of the story. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's a really well-rounded story. Um, the whole idea of the Daleks finally coming to Earth. I mean, that's what 
all the kids who watch the original Daleks are going to be fearful of is that, oh God, if they ever came to Earth, what the hell would happen? And then you find out what's going to happen. Um, and it's just a really gritty story and, and kind of really believable, more so than a lot of other stories. Well done, Simon. Thank Can you. I just say, you look like a robo man at the moment with those headphones. <laughs> he does, actually. That is so true. I'm borrowing, I'm currently borrowing Mark's <laughs> Dr. Dre headphones. <laughs> yes. You know, I always thought they're that. Incredibly, incredibly, I t- I'm only wearing one earpiece because they're incredibly bassy. Mm. Everyone sounds like Brian Blessed. Dr. Dre, I always thought, what a, you know, these Americans, they have no clue, do they? Because, you know, as a rapper, you want to get yourself a tough image, but you don't call yourself Dear Dre. <laughs> that was until somebody called me. Told me it was Doctor Dre. Uh, <clears throat> you... uh, for the next sixty seconds, Mark, you're going to be talking about the Daleks. All the Daleks. Um, classic story. Um, for, in my mind, the first proper Doctor Who story. I love the first episode of an unearthly child, but the sort of cave of skulls and the rest of it really leaves me cold. So for me, it's the point in the series Especially without where, fire. Ha ho. Uh, that's the point for me where it really gets started. Um, some great performances. Ian gets to show that he's the sort of man of action. Great acting by Jacqueline Hill when, um, when she's being attacked by the Dalek and that sort of cliffhanger. Um, and the campus looking aliens ever to step foot in front of a television yeah, camera. Yeah, that's not such they a They all are like point. David Walliams, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I remember liking the music in that episode as well. Some nice sort of theme music concrete in that yeah. yeah but some nice touches in that Simon's looking and nodding mm-hmm. um what else I'm trying to think of that so what's made me laugh is Lee's giving me a design. blank look Lee lent me a CD of music that he's made did I? yeah and that's pretty much music concrete okay I don't know what you're on about what's music concrete? he's he a concrete mixer okay yeah <clears throat> no, I can't remember who Never the musician was. Who, who... It's music formed tonally rather than melodically, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jay, for explaining it. Um, right. Sorry, we, we interrupted his <laughs> minute there, but yeah. Thank God. No, you didn't, because actually he got to the end of his minute. Oh, excellent. Oh, I was just about to tell him it was time to stop when you took over, Simon. So, uh, For the next 60 seconds, Lee, you're going to try and guess what the subject of tonight's Blue Box podcast is based on the two clues you've just had. Is it Daleks? Nope. Terry Nation? Nope. Earth. Nope. Mm. Oh, Dalek Invasion of Earth and the Daleks. Those are your two clues. <laughs> Begin with D? No. Oh, for crying out loud. Encyclopedias. We're going to talk about oh, Doctor the Who. The movies? Pardon? The movies? Yes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who Woo! the movies. Huzzah. Oh, they're the two stories that were adapted into movies. Come on, Lee. Get <laughs> with the <laughs> program. It's just funny you want to head back. Come on, Baggy. Get with the beat. <laughs> I thought, this will be easy. I'll just say Daleks and the Dalek invasion of Earth and then ask Lee what connects them. And he'll go, Don't be oh, stupid. Have movies. you seen my brain? <laughs> I no, that's the thing. Nobody ever Get a had. jigsaw puzzle, shake it up, mm. burn See, it. Because well, you talked about Dalek invasion of Earth before Daleks it through you. Because being did, a librarian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. T- took you out of order. Yeah. Uh, before we get into discussing it, <laughs> a quick sort of, I'll tell you what, a mark out of 10 for the two movies as a whole. Rather than... Just, oh a, God, just a general Dark idea of how much you like the movies. Out of 10, yeah? Yeah. Uh, s- uh, 7.5 for the first. No, 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 no. Oh, out what? of 10 for the movies as a whole. As a whole? Yeah, just how much oh, do you like oh the movies? Oh, God, what? 9. Uh, Simon, how much do you like the movies? A mark out of 10. 
Oh, God. I'm just asking you if you yeah. like Enjoy Bill. All right, Hurry eight. Up. Go on, give him right. an eight. Marky. Eight and a half. Yeah, and I think I'm on a sort of eight, eight and a half, nine as well. You're talking artistically, way below, but no, as, yeah. as yeah. something I like. No, I just wanted to get a feel in the room for how much we like the Dalek movie. Leave it alone, If Brett. you're comparing them with other films, <laughs> it may not stand up so well, but just watching them as a kid, seeing them on the TV, I'm, first of all, just when you finally realise there is actually a Dalek movie, which maybe I wasn't as well-read in the old uh, um, folklore of Doctor Who when I was little, but I hadn't realised there were movies until one day it just came on the BBC. I was like, wow, yeah. this is awesome. Yeah. F-U-N. I mean, if you were before Fun. Doctor Who magazine, you didn't really have any way of finding out about the nuts and bolts of Doctor Who. You had things like the Target books, which would have a list inside of some other Target books. Mm. So you know there are other stories called certain things, even if you thought they were called things like the Space War and the Doomsday (laughs) Weapon. And then you had the Monster Book, which would tell you about the monsters and some of the stories in which they appeared before Doctor Who magazine. And so we're talking the entire decade of the 1970s. How how would you know there were Dalek movies until they turned up on the telly? Mm. You just wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. So uh, here's how we start. Is that how we all experience them? Just because they just turned up on the telly one absolutely. day? Yeah, summer holidays. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, summer holidays. Absolutely. Mm. It was. It must have been the early eighties then that they they were on. I think when I saw them. Oh, I think the seventies because I remember. Oh, okay. I Roy Car- or the fact that I knew Roy Castle from Record Breakers, and it was all a bit of a shock that. Yeah. No. I don't think I saw Dalek Invasion Earth till a long time later, but certainly the first. I one. It was definitely the obviously opposite of that. Dalek Invasion Earth I saw in the eighties. Oh right. I thought it was a. I think it's a Sunday afternoon. I saw it with my dad. Mm. Whereas the, the Dalek was kind of like a. I think it might have been just DVD. I don't think I'd watched it until I bought the DVD. Um, 10, 15 years ago. Because the Dalek movies. I was going to say two things about them being on the telly. I couldn't give you the dates, but uh, back then films had a strange relationship with the telly, not like the ones we have now. Mm. Where you, you know, your TV station buys the rights and shows them when they want. Back then, it was like, you know, you bought the rights to show it, and then you, a certain amount of time had to elapse before you were even allowed to show it again. Yeah, and all these kinds of things. And I think the Dalek movies got their first TV outings something like ten years after they'd been out of the pictures, and then it was another five years again after that before they were on again. So yeah. by the time you got to the late 70s and 80s, they were starting to turn up more regularly. But I think probably certainly the first time I saw them, because I'm a little bit older than you three guys, I think I probably caught them on telly during the summer holidays and thought just, what the hell was that all mm. about? And then, because I had no way of reading about them or finding out about them, then they just completely disappeared again. And, you know, it was another mm. five years mm. Mm. before I got to even sort of find out what what they even were, what they were all about. <laughs> Being a typical nerdy kid, the first thing I did was shout at the screen, he's not called Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's delightful, though. I oh, think that's is. one of the it's most of the charming things about yeah. the films. Mm. And I, you know, I, I would love for that to turn up in the show because I just think that kind of thing is utterly, utterly charming. And sometimes when the show's having a period when people are a bit cold towards it, and I know people are now, you get somebody to call Matt Smith Doctor Who. I know it's stupid, and you're all looking at me like I an think idiot. it would probably irritate the hell out of me. It's bad enough <laughs> when people write Dr. instead of Doctor. Oh yeah, well he has, has been called Doctor Who a few times in a kind of clever yeah. way, isn't he? It's not I'm not being serious, but what no. I'm saying is, if that kind of thing were even contemplatable, 
it would be a nice way of making the series seem slightly warmer than it is, maybe. It's going to be the ultimate anticlimax, isn't it? When the question that has been unanswered, if he does actually reveal his surname is who? (laughs) (laughs) Or not Von (laughs) Vare. Going back to the whole point of DR versus Doctor. Mm. I don't know why it irritates me. Oh, no. Well, Doctor, with a lowercase d, Mm. as a profession, you can abbreviate in the same way as you can abbreviate Mr. to MR yeah. and Mrs. to MRS. Although I don't know where you get the R from because there's no R in the word Mrs. But that's by the by. But in the name of the series, the word doctor is a proper noun. So you don't abbreviate a proper noun in that mm. fashion. Right. So DR with a dot is completely and utterly wrong. It's just an instinct thing. I don't know why. I just... Mm. Don't like it. No, I don't like it either. Silly. Anyway, so any of our listeners who write Doctor Who with a DR, anywhere Go else apart from Twitter, <laughs> where you might have a uh, maximum character count. Yeah, DR Leave that for annual covers. I've got to say, I write it a lot on Facebook because it's just quicker to write. But that's it. I shouldn't really. I've been told off many times by people doing that. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say was the films have had ups and downs in terms of how they're kind of regarded especially among fans but you know among sort of not so much just the real sort of hardcore fans but also just the wider circle of fanhood because when they came out in the 60s of course there was no such thing as fanhood and people just wanted to go to the movies and see the Daleks in colour on the big screen Mm. but when they started to show up on telly in the 70s of course this was by the time John Pertwee and Tom Baker the Doctor and of course when fandom started to appear in the mid to late 70s, the two Dalek movies were seen as an embarrassment. Mm. Mm. I can understand that. But, um, I just I remember love the them being really them. bright and colourful and yes. fun. There well, was when, we, 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 we mentioned the other day, didn't we, um, on the other episode about the uh, Dalek paradigm and the colours. <laughs> mm. My immediate thought was it was like the movie Daleks. Yeah. And yeah. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I don't care what anyone says. I love the multicolored Daleks. Do you? Yeah. You fool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, no, I do too. I don't mind that at all. They, they, they have what, grown look, at the end of the day, if, if they were being practical and they didn't care about color being the cold, heartless creatures that they are, then they'd all be probably metallic gray or something like that. Floral. Or camouflaged or something. Yeah, I think a floral design. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what color they are, does it? So well, we might as well make is, them nice if they looking. don't care about colors, they'd paint themselves bright colors because they wouldn't care. Yeah. I thought the colors represented their kind of hierarchy. Well, it does, but what I'm saying is you could have a muted blue and a muted red and a muted orange, or you can have a bright blue and a bright red and a bright orange. And if you're so cold and hard and nasty and evil that you really don't care what people think about you, you'll paint it a bright orange because you don't care. And and the TARDIS interior as well is the closest we've come to those Peter Cushing movies in the way that the thing actually looks. That's probably Messy and mental, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, but all the chrome and the lovely oranges. Stephen Moffat is... And this is a curious thing, but he is, it seems to my mind, to be a fan of 80s Doctor Who and 60s Doctor Who, and more specifically, the movies Doctor Who. (laughs) So he's got lots of 80s things going on. I think the whole Amy Pond thing uh, doesn't specifically, but in a very general term, Amy Pond reminds me of the 80s companions, and that you've got all sorts of convolutions in a story that don't actually pay off in Mm. terms of the character. Like the female Adric. Yeah. But then again, you've got a TARDIS exterior that was redesigned specifically to look like the one in the 
Peter Cushing films. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Daleks very quickly. Um, when we look for their eye stalks in the new new TV series, do they see colour? And if so, why paint yourself orange? Mm. Because they don't care. Because <laughs> they're that hard. <laughs> well. We want a pink Dalek then, in that case. Oh, and um, yeah, I was watching it with my son. Uh, this was uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks. Um, <laughs> for the first time he saw this, um, and he watched it. And he looked at the TARDIS and went, that's the TARDIS the Doctor's got now. And I said, yeah. And yeah, it is, exactly the, it is exactly the same. Oh, it is. It's and bigger I got quite, as well. Do you know what? Well, Even though I knew this, I got really excited about the fact that oh, look at that. It's exactly the same as one. As, oh, idiot. <laughs> Should grow up. <laughs> The other thing about that is when I was going to give you another more awfully point, Mark. Oh, thanks, Jim. Well, not really, but I was going to say when (laughs) fandom was first starting to appear in the like late seventies, then sort of then started to get become more widespread during the nineteen eighties. A fandom likes to take the subject of its love quite seriously, and it likes the subject of its fandom to give it something serious back. So even when you're a fan of, and this is more to do with it being a young fandom than a fandom that has, you know, grown to allow itself a bit more freedom. But the young fandom of Doctor Who specifically, but this is probably a general point as well, when it starts to become a fan of something, even if that something's quite childish and fun and silly, all of a sudden it doesn't like that. So early fandom would definitely have thrown the two movies out for being silly. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Mm. I think there was a time in uh, late 80s or mid 80s maybe where 60s stuff was suddenly uncool very quickly. Um, some music was cool, like The Doors, that suddenly came back in. But generally speaking, anything in the 60s seemed to be very uncool. I can't remember what part of the 80s it was. And those Dalek movies seemed to be that thing. Because I remember seeing seeing it and talking to somebody else about it who was a bit of a fan. And he just said, ah, crap, aren't they? I went, no, they're not. They're really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, like the, I like the car chases. And knocking <laughs> over the Daleks. The van with the open door. I think I had a... <laughs> I didn't talk like that. But I think they're, they're also one of those things where... The first time you see them, you probably enjoy them because purely for the fact that they are Doctor Who movies and probably also because you're a kid. And then maybe the next time you see them, if you're maybe in your teens by then, I'm talking about me, but I'm wondering if... Yeah, we're not you, so you better carry on talking. But what I'm saying is, (laughs) if the second time you see them is when you're in your teens, you're probably going to look at those cheap sets and you're probably going to look at those multicoloured Daleks and you're going to probably look at those camp aliens and Mm. you're probably going to think oh my god Mm. but then after you've gone through the oh my god period i'm thinking nice cloak (laughs) (laughs) it's not though is it it looks really cheap the one thing the one thing is missing is when they're climbing along the caves and what have you there's suddenly being a squeak and a piece of polystyrene coming off in someone's hand when they're going mm. along the cave. Do you know, I, that bit. I, re- I really hate the cave sequences. <laughs> I hated it in the original Daleks, I hate it in the film, this new film. New film? <laughs> in the old film, rather. And uh, any cave sequences in Doctor Who tend to be pretty dull, don't they? Are there any really exciting cave sequences? Caves of Androzani? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, the cave sequences weren't that interesting, though. Well, I'm not beast. a huge fan of Caves of Androzani anyway, <laughs> so I I was being devil's advocate there. <laughs> Purely because I was waiting for Mark to speak, and he hadn't. I think as a kid, they just seemed much bigger than the normal TV show 
just everything was magnified. You know it what? was, but really... it was... Yeah. Sorry, no, go on, because I was going to make a... Just kind of linking it with the magnification of it all, the bigness of it all. If the music added the hugeness, the mm. colour was like over the top. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the um, thals are very colourful, weren't they? And yeah. uh, mm, in the eyebrow department. Um, it was all really big. And, and of course, you know, being films, they had to cut out all the the rubbish from the from Oh, the this Daleks. is where I was going. Yeah, exactly. It's like you've magnified all the stuff that's not really significant. But the thing <laughs> that is significant, the script... You've told exactly the same story, yeah. almost scene for scene, mm. in less than half the time. How did that work? It's like <laughs> magic. <laughs> you know, it, it was. When I was um, old enough to be able to start looking at these things from a slightly more analytical perspective, I actually sat down like when they first came out on VHS, probably the first time I was able to sit down and relax with them. You know, rather than having to catch them as they were on Please the Please take a seat, Doctor in the Daleks, and have a cocktail with me and relax. Go on. Go. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you were catch- in the days before video, if you were catching something on the telly, you had to catch it as it was broadcast. Mm. There's no... Mm, but yeah. When you watch it on a VHS, you relax a bit more. Uh, yes, you do. You know, you can pause it to pee. Unlike this podcast. <laughs> Just <laughs> isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Mentioning Star Wars earlier that, you know, um, recently I haven't, but when it was on television less, if ever Star Wars was being transmitted live, even though I owned it on video, I'd still watch it. Why is that? Why is that? What is what it is, is a, it is a different experience. What is about watching it live that that makes I it think more exciting? Yeah, a lot of fans do that though. That's the on demand experience is leaving something behind, I think. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I, uh, yeah, I agree, because you know, we've started watching it on Saturdays again because everybody knows that I didn't watch them properly in order, <laughs> in order or whatever. But I get a real buzz again watching it live because I'm thinking everybody else is experiencing this at the same time as me. I wonder yeah, what they're yeah. thinking. Yeah. yeah. And they're all thinking, Jesus, the acting in this thing <laughs> is pigging awful. <laughs> and the dialogue. I have to say, I caught, we're recording this on Saturday, the 10th, 10th. of November. And it was Return of the Jedi this afternoon. And I have not, I didn't watch them, but I caught some of Empire and I caught yeah. some of Jedi. And I don't know, I was looking at the telly thinking, why are people fans of these films? <gasps> Simon, hot, no, just stay there. St- <laughs> Simon, don't go anywhere. Call your own piggin podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of piggin Star Wars, I got the old uh, Angry Birds Star Wars game. It's great. Is it? Oh yeah. my God, are we doing an episode of a phonic <laughs> screwdriver here or what? <laughs> Uh, what's this Angry Birds thing? Oh, the yeah, I know what the Angry Birds are. They've done a Star Wars one. Yeah, yeah. How does that work? I love the way the Empire, and you've got these various birds that do different. Like they can use the Force. They use lightsabers. You got Han Solo to fight the pig. Yeah, it's awesome. I love the way that Jr. says. I know the Angry Birds. Yes, yes. He's got Peter Cushing on us. <laughs> Talking of Peter Cushing and his acting. And well, I was Peter Cushing. To Peter Cushing. I was going to work my way into the movies. But All right, go on. Well, let's, no, let's, you can if you like. No, let's go, go the way you're going, the cave way. Well, no, I was, yeah, I was. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to try and come to the movies from <laughs> the things you notice first when you watch them as a kid. Because I don't think, as a kid, you really notice the characters first. You notice the setups. You notice the sets. You notice mm. the action. I was going to say, the first thing, I th- the, my first memory of watching the first Dalek movie wasn't so much the guy with the moustache or the fact that he built his own TARDIS or the fact that people were calling him Doctor Who. 
But the thing I remember was that jungle, the petrified jungle. Every time I think of his TARDIS, the jungle is in the background. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just something that, you know. I think it's the first thing as a kid. It's the jungle. You really, really pick up on. You notice all the other things. Yeah. But when the TARDIS lands in that petrified forest. I tell you what, this is really strange. Is, <laughs> and obviously it's down to how films are made there. If and, you and, say Star Wars again. I'm no, no, I'm not going to. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's going to say Empire Strikes Back. I'm not. I'm oh, not. worse than no. He's going to say A New Home. There's no reason given. That I can remember for it being a police box. At all. Oh, in the oh, film. In the film. In the no, films. No, no, no. It's just a police box because it was in the TV series. No. Yeah. Or why it there was is... big on the inside, actually. I don't, I don't think he totally explains don't that either, does no, he? No, I can't remember. No. Unless he invented it. He just decides to build it in a police box. Yeah. I know, it's great, isn't it? Well, it is, I mean, it kind of takes it that, that it really is cool for it being a police box, isn't it? This is the situation that films were in in the 1960s that they would not be in today. In the film, in the 1960s, they don't have the rights to do the character and the TARDIS and everything else the same as they were done in the TV series. They can't tell the same story. So they have to embellish and alter. And, but, by the same token, these films were made for the British domestic market. They were cheap, tuppence-apenny films that weren't expected to perform worldwide. Nice bonus if they did. But to make their budget back, they need to do reasonably well in Britain. Now, at that time, you know, 10 million people a week are watching Doctor Who. It doesn't take 10 million bums on seats to make a, a film a success. So the makers of the films could take it for granted that even though they'd have to change, they'd had to change stuff, they knew their entire audience were going to be au fait with what it all really meant. <laughs> so they didn't have to tell you why the TARDIS was bigger on the inside. No. Because everybody in that kind cinema just, would know yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It was Amicus Films that released this. Ooh, Milton Subotsky was the guy yeah. behind it, wasn't he? Because Amicus, did, they yeah. were like the Hammer Horror rival, weren't they? Mm. It, so it does feel like a bit <laughs> of a Hammer Horror-y type of... I as think, Peter Cushion for stuff. I know, it's not Amicus, but it was, there was a point at which some of the people who worked for Amicus split off or something. Oh, okay. Or maybe right. something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, the characterisation of the Doctor by Peter Cushion is just whimsically beautiful and it fun. wonderful. But he is a, an actor acting older than he is, because obviously he wasn't that old. You know, they're making him to look at 20, 30 years older than he was, I think. So he's he's being actor doddery. And... Um, <coughs> And some of his expressions are just so beautifully over the top. If you, you know, when his eyebrows, because I think his eyebrows are false as well, when his eyebrows go up and he goes, oh, Susie, or whatever, just pause <laughs> it. It's just, and look at it and what? see if you can not laugh. It is brilliant. Oh, he always goes wonderful. into Doc Brown, doesn't he? Distinct lack of Billy Fluff, though. I, that's probably, yeah. yeah. yeah that's Have you noticed, though, the only two characters you remember from that first film is the Doctor and uh, Roy Castle. That's all I remember. The women are completely forgettable. Not Roberta Tovey. Oh, yeah. oh she's oh, yeah, lovely she's little Roberta. She's sweet. Yeah, sweet, okay. sweet, sweet. No? So the woman, uh, the Barbara, Jenny Linden, is it? Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah she... I think she comes off the worst by a long way. In that there wasn't film. much for her to do, to be honest. No, I think without having the... With Barbara in the television programme being the teacher hmm. and with Barbara and Ian being the eyes and ears in, Obviously, they didn't repeat that for the film. No, but also and the acting. I mean, the acting from our, our Barbara. Yes. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is you wouldn't have had um, uh, our Barbara in the film 
but so you wouldn't have had the choice of having Jacqueline Hill in it. You wouldn't have had the choice of having the actress, no. but you could have had the choice of doing the same character mm. and having to be a school teacher. What I'm saying is, with them choosing not to do the two school teachers thing, you kind of lost the point of Barbara being there. Yeah, Ian's yeah. there to be a hero in that film, but Barbara's not in the film to explain things anymore. I'm trying to so remember her character's she, lost. Is she supposed to be the Older sister, or something. yeah, yeah, older yeah, sister, that's right. yeah, yeah. Roy Castle's the... the boyfriend, isn't he? That's right. Uh, he's playing Ian, isn't he, in this film? Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. what he. Yeah, yeah. but it's Bernie Cribbins as somebody Wilf. else. Wilf. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> almost fell oh, for it. I, I did fall for it. Um, what I mean, uh, Roy Castle, Tom, isn't it? Uh, when Tom? he's is yes, Tom thank Campbell, you. yeah, yeah Clark. Something right, so Ian and Barbara, two really solid, quite strong characters in our Doctor Who universe, becoming not actually that great characters, I don't think, in that first film. Yeah, I, but here's it what worked happens. better in the second film with Bernard Cribbins. In the television programme, you've got Susan to get in peril, Barbara to explain things, mm. Ian to do things. But, but Ian doesn't film. do that much apart from maybe one thing. He's a bit heroic once, and he's got a couple of comedy falls. Pratt Falls, that's what I'm which saying. are funny yeah, and in, over the top, and then the, the rest movies, of it is pretty mm. average. He doesn't do anything else but I'm standing so around looking. He, he's the one who gets them into trouble. Yeah, because in the movies, the whole the whole relationship between the characters has changed. You don't have Barbara to explain things anymore. You don't need to because you've got the Doctor to explain things. In the television, the Doctor's a mystery. In the movie, the Doctor does the explaining, which rules out the need to have Barbara. You've got, um, for a, uh, well, I, I can't remember where I was going to go next after that. But my point was the Doctor in the movies is so different and his relationship with the two girls. That's where I was going to say. In the television series, you've got strangers in the TARDIS who can go out and get into trouble. Yeah. Right? You've got two of them. It's a 50-50 split. In the movie, the Doctor and Susan yeah. and Barbara... Yeah are all related. So mm. Ian is the only one who is yeah. the stranger, so he has to be the one who goes out and gets them into trouble. Yeah. Mm. Whereas in the TV series, that could be left to the weakened version of the character of Susan. But in the movie, it, it defaults to Ian. So Ian's relationship in the movie, utterly altered, and Barbara's relationship with the other mm. characters in the movie, also utterly altered. And Barbara, because Ian's taken on the pratfall and they're getting into trouble and all this kind of stuff, Barbara becomes utterly redundant. So whether the actor was any good or not, she she's didn't have glamour. Anything. I don't know. Is she? I don't know. It's pretty uh, well, to look at. Is that the idea? I don't know. Probably. <clears throat> probably. Uh, Roy Castle is, is exceptional in most of the things he does, and his comedy timing and his comedy pratfalls and his clowning is fantastic. I mean, the way that he falls onto that creature <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> hilarious, and it's you know, and the kind of these double takes, <laughs> kind of things, very very funny. But it's not kept up. That's the, the consistency of the character isn't, you know, all the way through he's bubbly and full of energy. And, I know, Doctor, let's do this, boing, or whatever. It's it's not. It's He's kept in the background or it's very odd. It's, if you watch the film, he has well, about two or three right. amazingly large, huge, funny moments. And the rest of it is very out of character and he's a little bit more quiet. And well, just doing that's kind of also the asking. point. By yeah. changing the relationships of the characters. Changing the dynamic. Yeah, changing the dynamic between the characters, but at the same time, you've done exactly the same plot in exactly the same way. So you've got Ian having to be the one who can get them into trouble, but also having to be the heroic one who gets them out of it again. Mm. 
like because that's what he does in the story because they've not changed the script enough so the dynamic between the characters has changed and yet in terms of the plot in its purest and simplest terms they've all still got to perform the functions they've performed on tv because you know it is still susan who has to go back up to the tardis for the fluid link the uh you know the thing the files give her not the fluid mm. link but you know what i'm saying mm. so the film you know, at its most basic level, this first film is it just has an utterly, utterly insane relationship mm. to the plot of the original. It does. And Roy Carson? But I, it's fun. What do you think? It, you know, I, I, I love <clears throat> the guy. He's fantastic. Mm. Not the hugest fan. No? I don't like the comedy pratfalls and stuff. I don't like your manic and your wacky. Yeah, but this is the problem. He's over manic and over. It's like the mask. Have you seen the film The Mask? Yeah. Jim Carrey's a normal everyday guy, and then when you put that on the mask, it's like whoa, all this sort of business, really over the over the top. And that's how it felt. You had this kind of like running along the street, did did did, and then suddenly, bang! There's an they explosion. They kind of carry that on the next one, don't they? Because they've got Bernie Bernie Cribbins. Yeah, but Bernie Cribbins is a little psychic. bit more consistent, I think, no, in his acting style. No, 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 because he's got the uh, food pill machine yeah. scene. Yeah, but he doesn't over-overact it. Oh, he does. He really does. Does he? Oh, yeah. I need to go back and have a look at that. I love that food pill scene. No, it's (laughs) the one bit. Do you like Charlie Chaplin? You like Charlie Chaplin, Marty? That was like from um, Charlie Chaplin. Which film was it? The one with the machines? Oh, um, Great Dictator? No, no, no. no. The Modern 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 Times. Modern Times. He had a similar kind of machine, so I think they just lifted that. Oh, probably. Mm. Uh, for my money, that was the weak point in that movie because that was the only bit that fell out of tone with the You could have cut that and it wouldn't have made any difference, but no. I liked it. I, it didn't spoil it. Oh, Cribbo. Uh, Lovely. And I think, Great bit of acting. apart from that bit, Bernard Cribbins is much more the straight man in the second film than Roy Castle was in the first. Mm. Because <coughs> uh, I think you know, even though your characters are by and large the same in the second film, you've also replaced Barbara with somebody new. Yeah, remind me. Um, oh, Darkhead Girl, Jill Curzon. Can't remember the name of the character. I can't remember the name of the character. Oh. I only watched it recently as well. Uh, but the kind of point is, now you've got two strangers in the TARDIS again, effectively. Mm. Mm. So things are slightly more on even balance mm. again. So it doesn't feel so tonally abstracted from the television version. And the fact you got sense. Philip Maddock in it, who's been in more Doctor Who than most people. He was <clears> good in that. Good. He was very good Fantastic. in that. Way to go beside the point, Miles. <laughs> good, good villain. He was a good villain. I think the best thing about the film is the film poster. Movie poster is well, fantastic. Sugar yeah. Puffs. Yeah. I was going to say that. Hey? Oh, <laughs> the Sugar Puffs poster. <laughs> one, of the, one of the biggest product placements in <laughs> movie history. Forget your James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> The devastated earth. Buildings are falling to the ground. Yeah. The sugar, the sugar poster stands. <laughs> <laughs> they should have coated all the buildings in that. They would have survived anything. <laughs> Nuclear holocaust. Do you remember uh, the original version where they land by the river and um, it's such a small set which kind of spoils the effect. But they're yeah. not supposed it wasn't to see a set, this. was it? But they're not supposed to see the sign that's actually right beside them that mm. says, please don't throw bodies in the river. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Please don't throw bodies in the river and enjoy sugar puffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what the poster should have said. <laughs> enjoy your sugar puffs responsibly. Don't throw see, your dead uncle in the they river. They missed a trick there, didn't they? Because instead of having the slither, they could have had the honey monster. 
Oh, yeah. What instead of the Candyman, maybe? Uh, yeah. I, I will say Ready Break is more resilient than Sugar Puffs. That dishwasher won't touch it. Yeah, it's like cement. That it would is. have been really useful to rebuild <laughs> London with. <laughs> if you if if you if you leave if you leave porridge oats for a long time, it's like cement. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So yeah. you could use that to rebuild London with. As yep. simple as that. Have you got a washing machine, Mark? <laughs> we got a washing machine. Yeah, <laughs> not a dishwasher. Got a selection of cereals, <laughs> <laughs> and we can put this to the test. Yeah, shreddies if you allow them to that dry. A very good documentary about Colditz, and they're using. Uh, Oats as a way of uh, sealing the wings on their uh, makeshift glider that they were going to escape from. Oh, yeah, really? Well, there you go. There you go. You've what learned are we talking about? Oh, Doctor Who. That's right. Oh, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, um, most people think the second one is considerably superior to the first. Yes. And do we all agree with that? I do. Well, Simon, I so. from memory, I haven't watched the second one for a long time. But I think story-wise, it's it was always a better anyway. story, wasn't it? Yeah, you said so at the beginning oh, I of the don't podcast. Know. I really yeah. like the story on the Daleks. I the don't like the story. I think it's not the second one's necessarily better. the version of the film, but the version of the TV. Mm. Mark, the Robo Men look cooler in the film than they do in the TV program. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. really cool. Yeah. everything's bigger, better. The models, the PVC are suits. You like those, don't you? That's I was going to say yeah. then, apart from the reasons that I've given about the characters being out of character, as it were. Because I think that does have an effect on a watching audience, even if you don't know why, you can tell. Uh, do you think it's the plot then that makes the second one better than the first one? Probably. I mean, the idea that they're split up and they've got to try and meet each other across the country is quite. It's like, how are I've they going to do that? How are, you, how are they going to meet each other? Mm. How are they gonna... Do you think perhaps it's because the second one's got such a lot of location work, but the first one's yeah. all studio? Yeah, maybe. I like location work. It was yeah, like the third Doctor film. But I also think on a movie. In widescreen, in Technicolor. I think if you're going to do it 100% in the studio, you can really tell. Mm. If you're trying to do Alien Planets in the studio, okay on a 405-line TV screen, not so good on a cinema yeah. screen. Uh, remind me, is the Slither featured in the movie? Ooh. I don't think. I, I don't remember, remember it being in the film, <clears throat> no. No, I can't remember. I made the mistake of watching no, them both that's quite right. close together. The scene with the slither was replaced by the garlics surrounding the shed and blowing it up. Ah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Should have had the honey monster. Would have been the tarpaulin man was brilliant, wasn't he? The slither. I have to say, <laughs> the model for the Dalek ship was awesome. Oh, love them. Yeah. Yeah. Very that was cool. fantastic, actually. That was mm. that was a great... Actually, the movie poster, just quickly... Of that was absolutely phenomenal. I love that movie poster. It's one of my Did favourite you... movie posters of all time. <clears throat> Simon just said that about five minutes ago. I wasn't listening. <laughs> you, I Did don't, I you, in a recent <laughs> podcast, <laughs> in a recent podcast, Up your bum. you mentioned Lee. Yes, Are you listening you now? You I, bet you've rem- I bet you can remember every single thing I've said over 31 podcasts. Yes. Because I don't. I know. <laughs> you don't listen to what we say and you just talk without thinking. Fair point. It's brilliant, isn't it? You you listen back to our podcast and it's all a complete surprise to you, isn't it? It is. It, yeah. Every time. Yeah. Bless him. My <laughs> point like a being, goldfish. And in, in a recent episode, you mentioned that you had the Quatermass Experiment DVD with David Tennant, yes. Jason Fleming one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched the Easter egg on there? No. No, okay, right. Get that disc out. Yeah. Put it in your machine. Hunt for the Easter egg. Well, I don't think that it's that difficult well. to find. And Jason Fleming's... Yeah, yeah, I've got the DVD. I haven't seen it. Jason Fleming's father was Gordon Fleming, the director of 
the Dalek uh. movies, and Jason Fleming had a secret passed down to him before his father died, how they did the noises for the Dalek spaceships, which sounds like, you know, a sound effect revealed to be this little trick his father did with his voice, vocal cords, and he taught Jason how to do it, and he does a perfect, but (laughs) perfect impersonation of the Dalek spaceships from Dalek's Invasion Earth 2150 AD on the extras on the we all need to learn this as an intro yeah, for the right. next podcast. I love Jason Fleming. He's never really had his <laughs> chance to shine, has he? Do you he's think he's always of... played? I like him as well. Yeah, yeah. he's good. Next, he's Bond. a really nice chap actually. On this, yeah, he comes across as a, a be- lovely bloke, mm. very mm. down to earth and unprepossessing. Is he, I don't. Has he ever had a leading role in anything? He's Quite a mass experiment live on BBC of, Four. Yeah. Didn't he take on the the main role in Primeval after? Maybe yes, he did. Yeah, oh, did he? like I say, he should be the next Bond. I think his name's been mentioned for Bond before, isn't it? Do you know who I think? Uh, and this is if he's as good an actor as I think he is. Who I think completely outside, completely random, and you'll Matthew do the bloke in the mirror, isn't it, Joe? Pardon? It's that bloke in the mirror. Matt Smith, give him 10 or 15 years. Yeah, you never know. Right, I've gone silent because I'm not sure. It. If you've got a face that's as long as that, I don't know if you're going to get away from. Let's look at it... Daniel Craig. Yeah, he's a monkey, isn't he? He's like a hairless monkey, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Says the Adonis himself. <laughs> <laughs> what is he? Ooh, ooh, seven. <laughs> I tried for the part, they said no. Uh, the I couldn't get in the foot. I couldn't get in the suit. You tried for a part as a hairless monkey, and they said <laughs> no. <laughs> um, we were talking about Doctor Who, weren't we? Yeah. Look, um, any other major points about the Dalek movies? Because something else I want to bring up. Okay, I'll bring up the other thing then. Right. Uh, oh, somebody's got a phone call. That'll be me. Hang on. You carry on. Uh, okay. <laughs> Hello. <clears throat> Ah, well, we really need Lee for this bit, actually. Okay, it's... Uh, I can it's my agent. I've got the job as 007. Oh, well done. <laughs> You've got the job as the hairless monkey. Right? You thought they were offering <laughs> you M, didn't you? But they were going, hmm. Don't try and pull the fur over our eyes. No, no, they, they've got Lee a job. It's, um, they've decided to mix two of Bond's best villains. Blofeld, an odd job. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the pictures yeah. on Facebook, haven't you? Uh, oh, Oddfeld. Oddfeld, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> we came out with that, didn't, didn't you come out with that, JR? Anyway, we're, we're just chatting. Let's let's get back to podcasting, Mark. Oh, yeah. like I At the start, when I said this was going to be like the Starburst radio show, I was kidding, but not as it transpires. <laughs> not at all. Uh, I did the other thing I wanted to talk about, we promised during the questions podcast that we would come back to the question of, should there be a Doctor Who movie? And we talk about it properly when we have time. Well, that time has now come. Mm. Did we? What did we all say? Because I can't remember. <laughs> I'm surprised. Uh, well, I, I definitely said no. Simon said no. Mark said, said yes. yes. Yeah. I said yes. And I you think said I maybe. Said maybe, yeah. Possibility mm. if it was right. The stars were in the right place. Right. Uh, what should we should do then? Since you're a floating voter, we should ask. Thanks. That's you're a floater. Nice. <laughs> you are a floater. <laughs> you are. You said maybe. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Go. We should ask Simon to give us the reasons why there should not be a Doctor Who movie, and then Mark and I should try and persuade him around. 
Okay. And you, possibly, being the floating voter, mm. can then decide which way your vote floats. Right. Go for it. Who's starting? <laughs> well, Simon is. You're going to tell us why there should not be a Doctor Who movie. I think if you compare it with the Peter Cushing movies, I think we're in a different time in the media. I think it'll be a different experience altogether for there to be existing at exactly the same time the film and the TV movie. I know you've said about if the film was to exist, it would be a complete completely separate entity from the TV series. Well, does it have to be? Because that's what we're going to bring up. So are you, are you saying that it should be... Uh, should not exist if it was separate, but if it was conjoined with a television series, that would make it okay. No, I don't think either way, really. I just don't think the time is right for that. I don't think the... I just think the TV series has got to a stage now where it's so filmic anyway that what is going to happen when it does hit the cinema? And I don't... I'm not sure. Maybe I'm being a, a bit of a stick-in-the-mud um, typical fan by saying that I don't trust them to do it properly. So you don't know about the Doctor Who film next year for the 50th, then? What's that? <laughs> He's talking rubbish. No, he is talking rubbish. Um, um, look. You heard it I, first. In time. the States, you can have at any one time, I can't even remember what it's called now, Smallville, telling yeah. the story of Superman. Yeah. While at the pictures, there's a film series telling an entirely different version of The Legend of Superman, while at the same time on the Cartoon Network, or wherever, you know, on some other network, you've got an animated series telling an entirely different version of the story of Superman, while at the same time, in comics, you've got, you know, the guys who write and illustrate the comics telling an entirely mm. different mm. version of the story of Superman. Again, at the same time, you've got anything up to half a dozen different versions of the story of Superman all going on at the same time. Yeah, that's because they can never get it right because it's rubbish. Anyway. You're talking to a Marvel DC fan comics. here, so you yeah. probably didn't pick the best subject matter. The bloke in underpants. No, so but then you're missing the point. The point uh, no, being... I'm mucking around, but yeah. Okay, in Britain... No, I understand what you're saying. You've got Sherlock Holmes at the movies and on TV, both hugely successful, both entirely different, and yet at the same time effectively telling the same character's story. Go if on, I can just stop you, both of those come from literary sources. So they were, existed before they became but, visual, whereas Doctor Who was a visual starting point. Well, I wouldn't say so comic comic a literary <coughs> source in the same way as novels are. No, no, I know what you mean, but it's it's, it, it, it comes from somebody's creation on paper then the next person will slightly do a different drawing, slightly different story, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can do lots of different versions. It doesn't matter. It's a comic. And it doesn't matter. And with it Sherlock Holmes, okay, we had the consistency of <coughs> Arthur Conan Doyle, but people, once they started making films, did different versions of that film because you could just take the source and play with it. Doctor Who is official source. It's a it TV programme. It doesn't matter. <coughs> Where so you can't... It doesn't matter which medium it They tried it with Peter Cushion. Because, uh, for instance, look at Shakespeare. That was never literary. They weren't even written down half the plays back then. You know, that started out on the stage. Let's not forget the Peter Cushing films made very early on in the life of Doctor Who. It's so established now. I think people, there's a, such an established audience that they would expect it to be connected with the well, TV series. Well, that's the series. point. The movie would not be for that audience. No. That then audience... I don't think it would work. Look at the Hitchhiker's film. It didn't work. Well, no, no, that as didn't much work. as I love it, and I know you hate it, Lee. I do hate it, but 
again that was that came from a book but anyway so you can have different interpretations of that yes right but with doctor who if you're going to do a film you would have to do it in the same way as firefly the no, same. no 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 you do it completely differently from I think firefly the beauty of doctor X-Files. who is the fact that you've got this but ability to have a different Simon is right this isn't yeah. doctor who is now 50 years old which means it doesn't matter where it came from and it means it has passed from and this is completely and utterly true for Doctor Who, it has passed from being one thing into something else. Firefly and Serenity, completely different. Firefly was a series that ran for one series and got cancelled. Yeah. They got a movie together, okay. which meant that all the cast from Firefly were free and they were able to tell a continuation of the same story. Mm, same with the X-Files. With Doctor Who, you would not have that situation. Those actors would not be free, and by the time a movie had been through pre yeah. and post and production... You wouldn't be able to get it on the screen unless time. it gets cancelled. To make no, but then the point is that you do a movie that doesn't have anything to do with the television version, in the same way that the William Hartnell version doesn't have anything to do with the Patrick Troughton version, doesn't have anything to do with the Matt Smith version, doesn't have anything to do with the Sylvester McCoy version. All those, all eleven, all eleven Doctors have been different. In fact, Tom Baker had three different interpretations of the role, which means that Doctor Who is a role that can be interpreted interpreted in as many different ways as, for example, Sherlock Holmes or Superman, as per my previous examples. And not only that, not only can it be interpreted in different ways, it's built into the, it has the been, program. Yeah, it has been interpreted in all those different ways within that canon. It's old enough now to be a legend in its own right. Most of the people <laughs> watching Doctor Who now did not see the birth of the programme. So for them, the canon, insofar as it exists across the entire 50-year span, is an irrelevancy. The people who are watching Doctor Who now watch it entirely divorced from the classic series in the same way as a movie could exist entirely divorced from the new series. Then its success is all basically <laughs> down to treatment. It's all down to story. Exactly. How well it's written. You, What you do with it, you take the property, you take the things that work really well, you're very careful about not <clears throat> bringing up and refuting the things that you don't want to uh, necessarily upset people over. But the point is, Doctor Who's watched in Britain by about 8 million people, right? and in America by about a million and a half. But you make a movie, and this is where Hitchhikers went wrong, stuck way too close to the source material, threw out, you know, the dishes and kept the dishwater effectively, or threw out the dishwater but kept the dishes one way. You know Throughout what I'm the punchlines more like, yeah. But what I'm saying is they decided that they had to stick that closely to it that in order to make it make sense... You know, they had to throw out the good stuff in order to keep the plot. And Hitchhikers was never about the plot. So no. the, so in order to keep the plot, they had to throw out all the good things about Hitchhikers. Mm. But with Doctor Who, you wouldn't have that situation because it, it, it doesn't work the same way. Right, so you just, you're saying <clears throat> that if we were to make a new film now, it wouldn't obviously include any of the regular cast because he couldn't do it. So it would be a brand new thing, right? Why? What would Why be not? the point? Because, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my thing. No, What's what, what we I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, why would be the point, why you shouldn't do it. Because egos, for a start, 
and actors. Matt Smith would be crushed if there was somebody out there getting really hugely famous in a film version of something he's already doing. I'd be really more. I'd be annoyed, right? Do you think the guys who are on stage? No, in I, I the would. History yeah, not necessarily. No, no, actually. we're talking Doctor Who. We're not, you can't <clears throat> compare to anything else. This is a fifty-year running TV serial with millions of fan base, a huge amount of everything. Hey, look at it. It's Doctor uh, Who. Right? David Tennant leaves the part. Stephen Moffat takes over. Stephen Moffat, unless unless Stephen Moffat's writing the script for the, they're in. Unless Stephen's writing the script for the film, which we know he can do because he's done Tintin and some other stuff, and Matt's in it. I don't think there'd be any point to making a separate movie. And where the hell would you start? The Doctor's chasing his father around Earth, like that rubbishy idea in the 90s. Why would you do that? I don't know. But, uh, you know, you'd have to think of a brand new... <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be the open-minded one, Lee, and you're throwing out all this facetious that crap. That was your first mistake, JR. <clears throat> yeah, what? it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me a really good idea for a new Doctor Who film. I think this is the thing. That well, has to I be divorced enough away from the already brilliant ideas that are happening right the, now. The idea by the film really has, sell it. has got to be almost divorced from... <sighs> Doctor Who. In some respects, yeah. It's got to be some completely different... I, so I do take case, your point that the TV show is getting more mm. cinematic, but I think there's far more scope on the big screen to do more with it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just have budgets. doubts as to whether it's going to be popular. Mark, I have to be honest, it sounds film. funny, Why I know. But be? Because I think it's looking for an audience that isn't already there interested in the TV series. So in which case, you might as well stick with it being a tie-in with the TV series. Exactly. Give me a, a, a random... No, because you didn't let me finish my point from earlier. You keep interrupting me and stopping me halfway through my points. And... Were you? Oh, I thought you'd finish. Sorry, Cal. <clears throat> my point being, eight million people watch it in this country and a million and a half watch it in America, whereas our country has a population of 60 million and America has a population of 260 million. If you can get the percentage of people in America up to the same as the percentage of people who watch it in Britain, you do that by having a movie that they pay to go to the cinema and see. That's who your audience is. <sighs> yeah, but how do you get a Republican to, to vote Democrat? You you have to get the Democrats to behave like a Republican or something like that. No, I, I, don't, I, I, I understand think... what, what Jay is no, saying. In by, by doing that, you are going to suddenly grab a huger audience for the I for understand the that, right? but is there a reason why they're not watching the programme anyway? Yes, in, in that there is. Yeah. Fundamental, absolutely fundamental reason why Americans Come aren't then. watching Doctor Who in the same proportions as they are in Britain. Because it's not because dumb. Because it's a British... No, it's got nothing to do with whether it's dumb. Don't... No, I'm saying <laughs> that there are loads really? of X Factor viewers who don't right. watch Doctor Who because they don't right. get it. <laughs> it's right. got nothing to do with that. It's an import that shows on a minority channel. Yeah. You right. see America is tucked away. It's, you know, like I was saying about the X-Files, X-Files, huge program in America, niche BBC2 program in Britain. Right. Very so successful why niche BBC2 program. But you don't put X-Files on at 7 o'clock on BBC One on a Saturday night. So what do they change in it in order to make it palatable to go on to the That's bigger the networks? That's the whole point. Yeah. You don't need to change anything. Then why you don't they just, don't just sell it, it to the other bigger networks then? Why aren't they interested in it? Because it's an import. This is the whole point. The Americans, the big networks, make their own programmes. So what you're telling us is that you want to sell our beloved Doctor Who to, and make it cheap and over the top and colourful and well, and ridiculous and full of bombastic music, just like the Peter Cushing movies we're talking about, which we love. Is that the idea? That, yeah. 
<laughs> that's the whole point you wouldn't need to no, the idea my concern is uh, i use the word dumb all right and i wasn't talking about the viewers i was talking about the fact that in order for it to become palatable to a lot dumb of people it, down. it needs to be dumbed down and i don't think that should happen well no uh, there are big popular movies that aren't that dumb you don't no, need to that, be dumb to be popular i don't know why you're generalizing things in this way because you said yourself as a populist TV program since it came back. It's populist, yeah. but that doesn't mean it so has to be You'd need to, to make the film populist, wouldn't you? No, you just need to make the film strong enough. The television program works. You wouldn't mm. need to change anything. Mm. You just don't do it within a canon that is going to alienate 80 million Americans who've not seen the television series. Yeah. You just do a film of the television series right. that doesn't mention the TV series. Yeah, you don't series. get oh, okay, down in the continuity you don't. like they did on the TV movie. You could even cast David Tennant. Don't mm. tell people he's the 10th Doctor. Just tell people he's the Doctor. Yeah. Just leave the word 10th out yeah. and you're fine. And then British fans can say, oh, that fits in between Planet of the Dead and Waters of Mars. <coughs> and American people just say, okay, that's a film that stands hey, do alone. Do you know what they should do? Is do, just don't do an origin story. It's just have no, the, have no. the next Doctor as the uh, as <clears throat> the as the big film, all ready to go. Anybody get that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, pick the next Doctor after yeah. Matt Smith. Put him in a yeah. film. End Matt Smith. Film goes out, and then bang, you're into a new series. Oh, so you mean? Yeah, but then you don't have any opportunity for sequels. No, you but you have actor. a free person to do the film, and they then he'll be, be ready for the next season. Because he'd be making the next film. <clears throat> well, you don't do a series. sequel, you just go into the series. Use the film as the catch, as the bait. Yes, Can you backtrack you, into film... a series after a film? The X-Files did it, didn't they? I don't know, I can't remember. I don't know whether it works or not, I don't know. I but always you, feel, I always feel like the you successful can't... when you want a sequel, you can't because the actor's then tied into the television schedule. Yeah. No, it has to be divorced. Mm, mm. Well, unless you can come up with a really good script, <clears throat> I think it'll be crap. But it's a, no, it doesn't have to be <laughs> at all. That is, yeah. <clears throat> mm. No, I take Giles. Actually, point. okay, this is a Giles good debate. Point and I thought I might get convinced towards the That's film. That's why I wanted to do it properly. And I do like and, both sides. I do like the idea of a film, and I would love to see a really good film or two. So you know. And I think if, it deserves it. And if we were honestly. living in an ideal world, it'd be great to see Matt Smith doing it. Obviously, we can't. That would never happen. Matt Smith could or do a div- it a divorce. after he leaves the TV series. Well, yeah, maybe. And you just don't say he's the eleventh Doctor. And for the British fans, they can go and see the film and say, "Oh, this is a film of the Doctor that we had a couple of years ago, and it's really nice." And the American fans just get an actor. Look, yeah, I'm not sure the BBC would run two two ideas alongside oh. each other anyway. But it wouldn't be made, this is the whole point, the film wouldn't be made in Cardiff by the people making the TV series. No, but the BBC own the rights, so all I'm saying is they, I don't think they'd run yeah, too confusing. So I don't think you know confusing. how the BBC works, because the David Yates thing was greenlit by BBC America. And? And so you had the BBC's blessing to go ahead while the television series was being made in Cardiff, by an entirely different branch of the BBC, entirely independently from one another. Did it get made? Well, it's in pre-production. Right. So we're, we're expecting it, are we? I'm expecting it. Oh. Okay. Here ends the argument. <laughs> <laughs> that was a waste of ten minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. no, the, 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 but the discussion is supposed to... Yes, argue, is the, we're not arguing, it's a discussion. 
It's a discussion. It's fine. I'll kill him. The afterwards. discussion is argument discussion whether we think it's a good idea. I'll tell you. Look, the point is when David Yates brought this up, Jane Tranter, who works for BBC America, went on record as saying, "Yes, he has my blessing," and she was the woman who greenlit Russell T Davis doing Rose and bringing Doctor Who back in the first place. And BBC America then tweeted, uh, "The Doctor Who movie will go ahead in the indeterminate future," because at the point when David Yates said the thing he did, which was out of turn, it's like a movie. There are several stages it goes through. First of all, they talk about it. Then they talk about what they actually specifically want to do with it. Then they go and put together a treatment with the plot. Then somebody writes it. Then they go into pre-production when they work out how much it's going to cost. Then they go into finance. There are lots of stages. Yeah, about and five years. So you're saying it's been written then? It has no, been written. No, this is the point. David Yates was talking about it when it was at the very, very, very first stage. And they were just talking about whether they should do it. Mm. And David Yates said, yes, I'd like to. And Jane Tranter said, you get it together. You've got our blessing. And right. BBC America signed off on the blessing. So it's so, still ready to go. Well, the point is, now they're, in a, now they're at a stage where David Yates will be talking to writers, discussing with writers ideas and concepts. It'll be at least another four years away if it happens. Right, which is when Doctor will stop. Probably well, not necessarily, you know. Well, no, we hope not, but you just never know, do you? Why would it stop? It's not showing any signs of losing viewers. Right. Yeah, never stop. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, if the movie comes out and is a massive success, even if it's as divorced from the television program as it may well be, kickstart the program again when it starts failing. It well, yes. It would. It would be a win-win situation. If the movie does really well... Yeah, pulling a whole new audience. Yeah, if the movie... So put the next Doctor in it. If the movie does as well as, for example, the Harry Potter films, because yeah, this is what yeah. they're looking at. They've got the director of the last four Harry Potter films, oh, really and they're great. hoping for another franchise to rival the way the Potters were successful. If the Doctor Who movie does as well as the Harry Potters, then all of a sudden, Doctor Who, which is getting a million and a half in America even though it's on a niche channel, it's only getting 3 million in America. And in Britain, Doctor Who's watched by, what, one-eighth of the population? Well, all of a sudden, that goes up to one-sixth of the population, one-quarter of the population, yeah. maybe. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because Stephen Moffat's in the right position. He's, he's written scripts for Steven Spielberg. Oh, Stephen Moffat you know. wouldn't have anything to do with it. No, no, no. Well, you, you don't know, do you? You really don't know. Well, he might. You seriously don't know in four years' time, what he'll be doing. If he's out of a job, he will probably be writing the film. Why not? I mean, as a scriptwriter, I'd do that. If he's out of a job? If he's not showrunner for Doctor Who and he's got the offer to write a Doctor Who movie, I, he's not hardly going to well, turn yes. around and say, do you know what? I don't really fancy that. He, he'll it'll probably be go written for by it. then. Eh? It'll be written by then. This is all speculative, isn't it? Yes, but here's <laughs> the speculation, is that the film will be written... At a time when Stephen Moffat will be working on the television programme. You're waiting, aren't you? You want to write it? Oh, yeah, like I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're always... turning it down, though. Hey. <laughs> I've, seen the, I've seen the script in the back pocket. Uh. But the point is, it, you know... It's a shopping list. It's only one Stephen sentence. Moffat keeps saying things like, uh, the film's not going to go ahead without me. But the fact is, if the BBC who employs Stephen Moffat to make the television series Doctor Who, yeah. decide that somebody else is going to be employed to make Doctor Who the movie, 
that decision is not Stephen Moffat's to make. So uh, Stephen Moffat can, you know, shout at the curtains as much as he likes. No. <laughs> he might do but that. But the day. curtains aren't going to twitch just because he's shouting at them. No, I've yeah, I've tried shouting at curtains and they don't twitch. <laughs> not unless there's somebody behind them. No. But you know, uh, but you get my point. <laughs> the point is, if if the BBC decide to go ahead with this movie, and I don't see mm. how they can lose. It, the idea is strong enough. You know, enough Americans, more Americans, watch Doctor Who as an imported programme than any other imported programme. It's strong enough. It just needs to take that next step to find the rest of that audience. And that next step is not the continuity-skewed TV movie. The next step is a movie oh, yeah. no, with just... no continuity. Yeah. Yeah, so you get away from a Doctor Who's in the television <laughs> series... You get away from a showrunner who's written his own continuity. You just put a man in a blue box, having fighting aliens and travelling in time. Here's how your movie starts, with a couple of kids, a couple of high school kids. Told you you'd written it. Oh, I have. <laughs> it's on the Starburst website for anybody to see. Oh. You, 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 basic nuts and bolts. A couple of kids, it. yeah. You start with the... You start like you started in Rose with the kids who find the Doctor and the Doctor is a mystery. He is a benevolent mystery, but nevertheless he remains a mystery. And you have a story involving an alien invasion that necessitates the Doctor going back into Victorian times, forward 100 years into the future, before confronting, say, the Daleks on Earth in the present day. In your first Doctor Who movie, in that two hours, you have to do past, you have to do future, mm. and you have to do present. You have to sell the concept in the first movie. Some of this TV movie stuff where they're chasing around inside a, you know, hotel after a clock. You do the stuff that Doctor Who does well. And that's how you sell your first movie. The Doctor, benevolent mystery, your identification characters, a couple of high school kids, a girl and a boy. Past, future, present alien menace do you keep the police box yeah you keep the police box <clears throat> you don't explain it or maybe if you do explain it you explain it like in a throwaway an, line yeah either as a throwaway or ambiguously so that if you want to take the explanation as being the chameleon circuit you can lee's frowning at that throwaway line mark you can tell you're not a writer <laughs> Absolutely not, no. Well, no, I'm first? joking, I'm joking. <laughs> there are tons of throwaway lines in all of the newest Doctor Who's explaining things in one second. Yeah, and the they were in the old series. It, yeah. Sometimes it works. The was never even mentioned for nearly no. 20 years. Sometimes it's good, sometimes yeah. it's terrible. It was a throwaway line. Why is it shaped like a police box? Well, it was supposed to change, but it got stuck. Throwaway line. Yeah, good throwaway line. Stick it in your movie. That's what you use in the movie. Or, you know, not that specific line, but you use... Something like that. Yeah, you keep it as a like, police oh, box. The cloaking device stopped. You don't have the Doctor as an alien with two hearts. If you feel the need to introduce the second heart later, but you don't bang on about, oh, got two hearts. Yeah, I know. You keep that keep crap it out of your movie. Just get on with it. You, you know, it's <laughs> just, like, get on, just get on with yeah. telling the story. Yeah. Isn't that right, JR? It's like in Star Wars, you can have, at the end of Empire Strikes Back... <sighs> You can have Vader saying to Luke, Luke, I am your father. But well, you, you don't spoilers. spoil it for so many people. <laughs> but you don't <laughs> you don't put that in the first movie. 
this is second movie stuff. Yeah, yeah. Second movie, third movie stuff. Your first movie, nice Get on with the adventure. Yeah, tell the story. And I then if so. people want to know more, they come back for the sequel or they seek out the television series. Mm. It works to everybody's benefit. And it can, you know, with with Rose, it was a similar deal, actually. I think he didn't bring out too much exactly. too quickly. It, over the, <clears> that's one of the great things about the, the way the program is set up. You can have a standalone movie. You don't have to, as JR was saying, you don't need to make it a reboot. You can just have this mysterious character turning up. You don't have to explain everything. That's part of the attraction of it. Do you know the funny yeah, thing? Yeah, not running at the same time as TV series. That was my argument. No, but this is the funny I thing. I agree with you, Mark. I'd like to see it. For... The exact same fans who say we cannot have a movie and a TV series with different Doctors in at the same time are the exact same fans who say I would love to have Matt Smith for 13 episodes in the autumn and then have Paul McGann in a series of his own in the spring. I wouldn't say that. I'm not saying that you said it. No, but that's... I agree with what you said, the former. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to see a series with McGann in the spring and then Matt Smith in the autumn? Not really, so I'm not one of those kinds of fans. But you know what I'm saying? People are begging (laughs) for Matt Smith to have a little mini-series of his own running concurrently with Matt Smith. Um, Paul McGann and Matt Smith. It's like... You know, and these are the same people who say, oh no, but then you couldn't have a film with somebody like Anthony Head because nobody would understand it. <laughs> and do they all speak in that voice? Yeah. But do you know <laughs> what I'm saying? That. It's like, uh, you can walk into HMV, WH Smith's, and pick up a DVD with the words Doctor Who run on it, with a picture of William Hartnell on okay. it, or Tom Baker, or anybody. People get that different people can be the Doctor. Right, mm. talking of which, um, and we're on the you know subject of movies, your movie Doctor Mark. Oh, come on! Talk about you... putting me on the spot. Um, Hardly. You must have had time to think about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're really strong about having a film come out, you must have thought, okay. "Oh, do you know who would be um, make a good Doctor?" Hmm. Not Daniel Craig. You know what? As well, you would go English. There are enough English actors in America, successful enough that the Americans could quite easily take an English actor in yeah. the lead part. Because you two Grant, high school kids, thinking, Actually, you two you. high school kids are Americans, so you've got the balance right. Exactly. So yeah, Hugh Grant would be brilliant. You were saying not Daniel Craig. What about um, Ben Whishaw? He's really good in the new Bond film. Uh, remind me, Ben Whishaw plays Q. Right. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know him enough. Or Anthony Head, having been I in. Yeah, I I love Anthony Head, but I'm not sure no. as the Doctor. You I don't Head, think so. he would. But you know what I'm saying? He's Actors too... of that caliber and that celebrity, that uh... no, are you pulling funny faces? <laughs> no, no, he's trying to tell me something without telling me over the podcast. <laughs> but I don't know what he's talking about. He's yeah, but the trouble is, he's so close to me. He's trying to tell you, and he's mouthing words at you. But he's whispering in my ear while I'm trying to talk. Oh, oh really? So everybody will hear what you just said. <laughs> okay, yeah. What about you, um, Simon? What do you reckon? That's a... Thanks, I'm good. Um, oh, I don't know. Is this the bit where everybody but turns the podcast off? Because you just it going, is, yeah. Oh, exactly. uh, no, but uh, uh, I mean, funny enough, Hugh Grant is somebody that I'd kind of yeah. think. Oh, do you know Hugh Grant? Oh, for years I thought, oh god, he's he's okay. He's one character kind of actor, but actually, um, he would be the perfect divorced from the TV series style of actor to do. The Doctor Who part. And the other thing is, as well, oh, Hugh Grant good. has improved massively. As oh, he yes, actually, yeah, you're right. <coughs> but yeah, I think there's plenty of English actors out there who could do it. And they would. Why wouldn't you? If 
because the thing is, BBC are going to have money in this. Mm. And BBC are going to have control in this. So they just say to whoever puts up the rest of the finance, we do it with an English actor as the doctor. And you either take it or leave it. Would the doctor, the new one, <clears throat> have a moustache? A twirly one. I was JR. <laughs> <laughs> I was Lee. I was Mark. I was Simon. And before we go, I've got an email. Only one email, because we did this so oh, much man. on the... Hurry up, I need a pee. <laughs> <laughs> it's very short. It's two sentences. Because <laughs> we did this so much on the fly, but actually I was speaking to Steve from Manchester by email just before I came out, and I just said to him, we're going to do the Dalek movies. Have you got a comment? Because we've got no emails about it. And he just sent back this sentence. Uh, can't think of anything to say about them. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a comment from Steve from Manchester. (laughs) I know he did actually also then say the two Peter Cushing movies are by far the best Dalek stories pre-Genesis. Okay. And he does also say by far the coolest Dalek designs pre-2005. I think you're right, actually. Anyway, so we did. We did get a little email in there before the end. Right. So, well, we've all deintroduced ourselves. So that'll be the end of the episode then. And we'll speak again soon. Bye. Bye. You can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, sponsored by Sugar Puffs, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. <laughs> do you want to clear your throat and do it again? Sugar like Puffs. Susky and sexy, oh, okay. But do you want me to? Did that sound awful? <laughs> I can't it's tell. Osky. It's osky, osky. It wasn't quite, <clears throat> yeah. It by sugar Did it sound all right or not? No, hang on. I need to... <clears throat> You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, sponsored by Starburst Magazine, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Turned out nice again. Hey! hey. <laughs> I need to say sugar called? puffs again. Sugar puffs. Sugar puffs. <laughs> oh. Your accent, sugar puffs. It's sponsored by sugar puffs. <laughs> Lee's cracking up. <laughs> Lee, please don't wait yourself. Coming on stage, no, I can't okay, afford a cleaning bill. Sugar puffs. You're listening to the Blue Box podcast sponsored by Sugar Puffs and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chumley Warner.